Well, friends, seeking the light of God's Spirit, we turn again to that part of God's Word from which we read together the Old Testament, the book of Ruth. And we can read just now at the beginning of the book, at verse 1 of chapter 1, and seeking the light of God's Spirit, we come to consider together what we've entitled A Bow in the Clouds. Seeking encouragements in the book of Ruth for difficult times. But we'll read there at verse 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. A bow in the clouds. We don't have to go very far in the book of Ruth to find clouds. In fact, we don't have to go beyond the first verse. We don't even have to go beyond the first half of the first verse. We read there in verse 1 that it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. What sort of days were they when the judges ruled? Were they good days? Were they spiritually prosperous days? Were they days when God's word was honored and God's path followed? Well, the days when the judges ruled were dark and cloudy days. They were days a little like our own day. And we don't have to look very far back to find the evidence for that. In fact, we only have to go back one verse in our Bibles. To verse 25, the last verse in the book of Judges there. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel, and the Lord himself was not honored as their king either. So we have these dark clouds of rebellion and lawlessness. But these clouds will give way in the book of Ruth to the rainbow of God's overruling grace and then again in verse 1 we have the dark clouds of famine verse 1 there was a famine we're told in the land but through it will come the rainbow of the barley harvest that we read about in verse 22 they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest and then again in the book of Ruth, we have the dark clouds of bereavement and sorrow. And maybe, friend, for all I know, these dark clouds hang heavily over your own life. Maybe at the moment or maybe in the recent past. And they are with you. And they are with you here. Well, we read in verse 5 that Malon and Chilion also died and the woman was left of her two sons 
and her husband. But through these dark clouds comes the rainbow of consolation as Naomi nurses little Obed in the verse we just read in chapter 4. Chapter 4 and verse 14. And the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel. In the book of Ruth we encounter the dark clouds of Orpah's rejection. But we are consoled. We are consoled by Ruth. By the bow in the clouds. As we hear Ruth say, Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Words of faith, words of spirit-wrought commitment. As we read this book, there are many encouragements for us in difficult days. Can I highlight five? Five things that God does in the book of Ruth. And I'll spend most of my time on the first two. First of all, as we come to the book of Ruth, we read of God visiting his people. We'll see in a moment that that's exactly the phrase that's used in speaking about God's dealing with them. God visits his people. And he visits them specifically for the moment in two ways. First of all, he visits them with famine. He visits them with famine. And I can see what you're thinking. You're saying to yourself, that's not an encouragement. That's not a rainbow. That's surely a dark, dark cloud. Well, it is a rainbow. In the context of God's covenant relationship with his own people. That's exactly what it is. Israel, as we saw in that last verse in Judges, were drifting. Drifting dangerously in the wrong direction. But the Lord doesn't leave them to drift on. He doesn't leave them to wander further and further away from the right path. Further and further into a notion of lostness. Every man is doing what is right in his own eyes. But in mercy, the Lord intervenes. And he doesn't intervene first of all with a gentle kiss. He intervenes with difficulty. With hardship. With tears. With trouble. For God loved Israel. And he will not allow them to wander away 
But whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son that he receiveth. The book of Ruth, it opens with a famine. It's not a famine as, as in the days of Joseph in far off Egypt. And in the countries round about it. But a famine in that land. That land of all lands. That land that flowed with milk and honey. Has God forgotten his promise? Has he reneged on his promise? Has he in some way come short? Well, the verse that we read off in Judges 21 tells us what happened. Israel has brought chastisement upon themselves. And the Lord steps in. He visits his people. And he visits his people with famine. And he speaks to his people through that famine. And he still does, you know. We sang about it a moment ago in Psalm 89. It can be quite literally a famine of bread. It can be a famine of recession and economic hardship. It can be a famine of other troubles. It can be a famine of gospel blessing. On the word of God. What were we singing? 89 at 30. If his children shall forsake my laws and go astray. And in my judgment shall not walk but wander from my way. What does he say then? Does he say I'll ignore it? I'll compromise my law and pretend it's not there. Because they're my people. If they my laws break, verse 31, and do not keep my commandments, I'll visit them. There it is. He's visiting them, you see. I'll visit them, their faults with rods, their sins with chastisements. In the days when the judges ruled, in the days when everyone did what was right in their own eyes, that's when the famine came. And that's why the famine came. We read of God visiting his people. He visits them with famine. But then secondly we see that he visits them with bread. He's brought a blessing through that famine. As only he can. And he visits them with bread. Verse 6. Reading from the middle of the verse, chapter 1 there, verse 6. She had heard in the country of Moab how the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. It wasn't merely good ground that gave them bread. It wasn't merely rain or sunshine that gave them bread. It was God that gave them bread. What news reached Naomi 
what trickled through to Moab. It wasn't the fact that the rains had come. It wasn't the fact that the economy had picked up. Though the rains had come. And the economy had picked up. But it's expressed in terms of God's action. God has visited his people. He had caused famine in Bethlehem, the house of bread. And now he brings bread to Bethlehem. What did we sing on in Psalm 89? I'll visit their faults with rods. Verse 33, yet, oh, there's something here. There's a glimmer of hope. There's a bow in the cloud. Yet, I'll not take my love from him, nor false my promise make. My covenant I'll not break, nor change what with my mouth I speak. God's covenant relationship rooted firmly, of course, in the mediator of that covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. His steadfast covenant love shines through this book and it encourages us. It encourages us today conscious as we are of the fact that we deserve nothing from his hands. But as we sang in our opening Psalm 130, there is forgiveness with him that he may be feared. He hears the cry from the depth. And how often God's people have testified to that. Though they have been unfaithful, he remains faithful. And though he has visited with famine, he has also visited with bread. And isn't that exactly what he's done in the gospel? He's visited his people, his elect people, who brought spiritual hunger and destitution and famine on themselves because of sin. And what does he do? He gives them bread. He gives them the bread of life. He visits his people and he gives them bread. The Lord. Jesus Christ, without which they will perish. What do you need in the southern presbytery? The same as we need in the presbytery of Sky and Lochcarron, that God would visit his people and that he would come and in that visitation do perhaps not what we would immediately welcome. But what we desperately need. However. That might manifest itself. And we say to Scotland. We say to the world in fact. Our God is a God who visits his people. 
He is not a far off disinterested deity. But he is one who is active and proactive in their lives and in their experiences. And we say, we say to Glasgow, we say to Edinburgh, we say to Ayr, we say to the cities and towns and villages and hamlets of our nation, come with us and we will do you good. For God has spoken good concerning Israel and he is a God who visits his people. We read of God visiting his people. But then secondly, we read also in the book of Ruth of God calling his people. We read of God calling his people. And for our purposes today, it's a twofold calling. First of all, we find God calling back. Calling back. Naomi didn't die in Moab. Neither was she left there ignorant of God's dealing and work. She hears, as we saw in verse 6, that God had visited his people. And the Lord in his grace takes Naomi back to Bethlehem. Bruised and broken, no doubt, but back to Bethlehem. And that physical journey back to Bethlehem is an apt illustration of what we believe was also her spiritual journey. As she came back to the Lord and to the ways of God, she acknowledges, for example, in verse 21, that the Lord has testified against her. She's come to realize that. I went out full, and the Lord's brought me back empty. Maybe you're far away spiritually. Far away from Bethlehem and the house of bread. Maybe you wandered across the border into Moab. In compromise and unbelief. Is it not time to return? Return, O Israel. Unto the Lord thy God, Hosea 14.1, was fallen by thine iniquity, take with you words. You see, the book of Ruth tells us that there is a way back for Naomi's who have gone in the wrong direction. For those who are sitting with a heavy cloud over their lives. Who know in their own hearts that they are not what they were or what they should be. And who know what it is to be far away. Who were once close. To be in, in Moab. Who have gone in the wrong direction and made the wrong decisions. There's a rainbow here. 
the rainbow of repentance and restoration as he calls Naomi back. Back to Bethlehem. How appropriate. All roads lead to Bethlehem, don't they? One way or another. Back to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is calling his people. We see him calling back. But we also see him calling out. Because if Naomi is called back, Ruth is called out. Out of the darkness of Moab. In the sweet mystery of God's providence, he takes good out of ill. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And this Moabitess is brought into the fellowship of grace. Maybe you have dark clouds of concern as you look at the towns and the cities of your southern presbytery. Here in the south of Scotland, and I know it extends forth of that as well. And you see the way things are going. And it's the way of Moab on every side. And maybe it's more personal. Dark clouds of concern about your family and your loved ones. And they have no word of the Lord. They are in Moab this Saturday afternoon. Like every other Saturday. And their hearts are like Orpas, firmly in Moab. We can't take them out. Can't take ourselves out. But the Lord can call them out. And with his irresistible grace, with his glorious effectual calling, that is the work of God's Spirit. He can take a Ruth here and a Rahab there. And he can call them out and bring them in. The book of Ruth says there's a way out of Moab. Even for those born, bred and steeped in it. Even for those who have known nothing but Moab. All their days. There is a way to Bethlehem. And there is a place for them. Even for the chief of sinners. Through the blood of Christ. Who came. Not to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. What a bow in the clouds that is. 
as we contemplate our day and as we contemplate our family, our kith, our kin, our neighbors. And we feel so weak and inadequate, and we are both more weak and more inadequate than we'll ever know. But the God who visits his people is the God who is able to call his people. And make them as we sang in one Psalm 110. A willing people. In a day of his power. And how willing she is. Because God made her willing. The sovereignty of God. Is not a barrier for us. Friends it's a bulwark. We have God visiting his people. We have God calling his people. Thirdly, in the book of Ruth, we read of God equipping his people. It's all very well to come back to Bethlehem. Ruth and Naomi. But it's not an immediate they lived happily ever after scenario. There's a roof over their heads, but there's not much in the larder. And she, they, must have faced some trepidation. There's Ruth, a poor foreign widow. So ill-equipped. So easily taken advantage of. But the Lord who visits his people and who calls his people, equips his people. He is able to provide, maintain, sustain that little household. Chapter 2 and verse 18. Here we have Ruth and she's had a great day in the fields. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she gave to her and she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said to her, where hast thou gleaned today? Where did this come from? And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought and said, The man's name with whom I wrought is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, my dear, who has not left off his kindness to the living and the dead. The Lord turns Boaz's heart to sympathy and to love. And he eventually becomes the kinsman redeemer that they so needed. If stability was ever going to be given to them. Now he was to be a kinsman redeemer 
there were certain requirements. Would the Lord be able to provide one who would meet these requirements? Let's mention tree just in a word. He must be a close relative. He couldn't just be the first person they met in Bethlehem. That was the rule of the time. Well, I didn't finish verse 20 of chapter 2. And Naomi said to her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. In other words, he fits. He fits the proverbial bill. And in Christ we have a kinsman redeemer. The God who visits and who calls his people. He equips and he provides. And he provides first and foremost a redeemer. Who takes our nature. Who becomes one of us without sin. In order to live and to die. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He must be a close redeemer, and oh, he is. He is so close. He didn't take on him the nature of angels. But here he must also be a kind redeemer. A kind relative. Ready to put their interests before his own. Ready to take on his shoulders their burdens and their concerns. Not everyone in the book of Ruth is ready to do it. But as we read the book we see how kind and considerate Boaz was. And we marvel. We say what a kind relative the Lord raised up. But Boaz pales into insignificance in comparison to our Redeemer. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he were rich... Yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. For you are not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. He must be a close relative, he must be a kind relative, and he must be a rich relative. For there were responsibilities to bear and costs to carry. Chapter 2 and verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth. And that wealth that had been accumulating, the Lord had been accumulating that for such a time as this. He didn't know it, but the Lord knew it. Because the Lord was equipping them. 
and providing for them all that was necessary. In her enthusiasm she says, Thy God will be my God. And she discovers that that God, unlike the gods of Moab, is a God who provides for his people. And who says, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. All Ruth brings is her poverty. And that's all you bring as well. But poor empty Ruth is going to share in the wealth of her kinsman redeemer. Maybe you feel small and insignificant. As you look around Glasgow, Edinburgh, Ayr, wherever it might be. You remember your God is a God who equips his people. We have here five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Oh indeed Philip. But there's twelve baskets of fragments. When all have had their fill. You remember all things are yours. And Christ is, your, Christ is yours. And he says all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and make disciples. We read of God visiting his people. Calling his people. Equipping his people. Fourthly very quickly we read in the book of Ruth of God comforting his people. What consolations God brought Naomi. Call me not Naomi, call me Mara. Bitter, bitter, bitter. Who could have foreseen the joy of, of chapter 4? As she sings over little Obed. We're going to sing in a moment in Psalm 30. Weeping may for a night endure. Joy comes with the morning. Chapter 4 and verse 12. Let thy house be like the house of Pharaoh's, whom Tamar bare to Judah, of the seed which the Lord shall give thee, of this young woman. What do they mean? Who was Pharaoh's? Well, Pharaoh's was one of the twins born from that illicit union between Judah and Tamar in Genesis 38. It's one of these situations where the Lord takes out of our rotten situation something that is useful and profitable and uses it for his own purposes. Even our most appalling mistakes. What a poor start Pharaoh's had in Genesis 38. What a poor start Ruth had. How could she prosper? But the people remembered God's power to work in surprising ways. He comforts his people. He brings consolation. He 
He uses occasions such as this and others beside. In the book of Ruth, we read of God visiting his people, calling his people, equipping his people, comforting his people. Finally, we read of God saving his people. God provides a redeemer in the person of Boaz who saves them. We see in chapter 4 that he does it properly. We see in chapter 4 that he does it enthusiastically. But the note of salvation doesn't end with Boaz. Boaz is only the beginning. Look at little Obed. He wasn't just a ray of sunshine in their lives. He was one of these early Old Testament gleams of the Son of Righteousness. The very last verse of the book. Well, we'll read at 21. Boaz begat Obed. And Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begat David. Dot, dot, dot. We know where that's going to take us, don't we? It's eventually going to take us back to Bethlehem. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. The Mighty God. The Everlasting Father. The Prince of Peace. As we gather with clouds in our lives, we turn to the book of Ruth and we find encouragement and hope in the God who visits his people and who saves his people. And in the rainbow of Ruth, we find encouragement. We trace, as George Matheson put it, we trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. May God bless his word. We'll unite in prayer.